Hello, North Point. My name is Mark Adkins. I am the creative director and online minister here at North Point Community Church. And we just want to say that we are so excited that you have chosen to worship with us here online at North Point. Uh, before we get into the message, I do have a few announcements that I want to cover with you. To start off, we would love to know that you are worshiping with us. There's two ways that you can check in. First, if you have not downloaded the mobile app, I would encourage you to do so. Uh, it's a great resource that you can use on Sunday mornings and throughout the week. On the app, you can go ahead and tap the virtual connect card to let us know that you're worshiping with us. If you don't have the app, no worries. You can go ahead and text guest NCC to 94090. That's all one word guest NCC to 94090. Next, if you want to continue worshiping through your giving, there's a few ways you can do that as well. You can do that on the app. If you tap the give tab, that's where you can set up and manage your online giving. Or if you don't have the app, again, you can text NCC give to 77977. Again, that's all one word, NCC give to 77977. By way of announcements, I have two quick items to cover. Coming up at the end of this month is our Compassion Sunday. That'll be the last Sunday, January 31st, so mark your calendars for that. On Compassion Sunday, you get an in-depth look of how North Point and our community partners with Compassion International to meet the needs of children across the globe and to share the gospel in those communities. So again, mark your calendars, January 31 for Compassion Sunday. Lastly, we want to let you know about an upcoming North Point 101 class. If you have been attending North Point for any amount of time and you're starting to think, hey, this might be a really good fit, this is the class for you. This three-week class, starting on February 7, gives you a deeper look into all things North Point. We'll cover some of our church's history, uh, the church structure, answering questions on baptism and membership. It's an awesome class. You can find more information and how to register on our website. All right, that's all I have for you today. Now would be a good time to open up the mobile app and tap the This Week's Talk tab so that you can follow along with the message as we continue our NT90 series. Good morning. How is everybody doing? Woohoo! It's so good to see you. Glad you're here. Hey, if you're watching online in Langsburg, in Lansing, in St. John's, in Maple Rapids, in parts unknown, uh, we're glad you're here too. And uh, wish you could be here with us. Uh, before I jump into the message today, I, um, I feel like the right thing for us to do is to just spend a little bit of time praying for our nation. So uh, let's, let's do that. Father God, we, um, we look to you um, in these days, at this time in particular, God, uh, for our country and for uh, the leadership. Father, we ask that you would be with our leaders, with those who are, who are leaving, those who are coming in, and God, that they would turn to you that they would look to you for answers and for guidance. Um, God, we, we pray for the people who are uh, struggling, who are frustrated, who, um, who maybe have plans to cause harm. And God, we pray for your protection. We pray for cool heads and for wisdom to prevail. Uh, God, uh, we pray for us. Um, we're 
feel like maybe we're a long way from, from D.C., but help us to trust you no matter what. Help us to not uh, listen to the fear that Satan dispenses. But help us to trust you and to know that you're in charge. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, I, I'm, I'm just really excited about this new series, Reading Through the New Testament in 90 Days, NT90. How's it going for y'all? I'm nodding your heads. So, some of you are saying, uh, oh yeah, I'm supposed to be doing that, right? Um, hey, here's the deal. Uh, we started in January and our challenge is to read through the New Testament in 90 days. Um, if you're on track, you'll finish with the book of Mark today. Uh, with today's reading, um, so you'll know that you're right on track. If you haven't started, but you'd still like to, um, I, let me just encourage you, start tomorrow morning with the book of Luke, um, and you can go back and read Matthew and Mark a little bit later. If you read three or four chapters a day, you'll be right on track with us, and the messages will come from the passages that we're reading. You'll see that uh, just really clearly in today's message. If you've been reading the scripture that we're going to go through and the concept that's there, it's, uh, it, it will all be things that, that you're really familiar with. So let me encourage you to do that. We've called it NT90 because we're reading through the New Testament in 90 days. It sounds a little, a little bit like P90X, right? Um, we're working out spiritually. That, that's, that really is what it's all about. Our goal with reading through uh, the New Testament is that we might meet Jesus and see how he changes us, that he might do his work in us. Um, so this week we've been reading through the book of Mark. Let me give you just a little bit of background about the book of Mark. The book of Mark was written by a guy named John Mark. He was not one of the 12 apostles, but he was one of the disciples that followed Jesus. We know that that he was there, that he would have seen a lot of things firsthand. Uh, at the end of Mark, in, in Mark chapter 14, um, when Jesus is arrested in the garden and the crowd comes in, um, Mark is the only one of the gospel writers that mentions an incident where the crowd comes in and, and the disciples flee and this one guy is, is caught. They, they go to try and grab him and they actually grab his inner garment, the only thing that he has on, and he, escape, he pulls out of that garment and runs naked away from the crowd. That's Mark describing himself which is a really, really kind of interesting piece. Uh, uh, let me just take a step back, and, and if you've never read the Bible, let me, let me just help uh, clear, clear some things up. There are four Gospels, what we call the Gospels. They're the, they're the biographies of the life of Jesus, and they're four different perspectives of the life of Jesus. They're not four volumes in one story. So it's like you don't finish Matthew and start Mark and think that Mark starts with where Matthew left off. It actually is four different um, perspectives of the life and ministry of Jesus. Um, so, so that's a cool thing. Well, uh, what else do we know about John Mark? We know that his mom's name was Mary. Acts 12 tells us that. And that Mary's house, where, where John Mark, the home of John Mark's mom, was a place where the disciples came to gather to pray and to worship and, uh, and to be together as, as the body of Christ. In Acts chapter 12, Peter's in prison. And if you, if you know the story, Peter's in prison. The, uh, the disciples are gathered together at Mary's house, John Mark's mom's house. And they're praying for Peter to be uh, protected and freed while he's in prison because the apostle James has already been martyred. And, um, and they pray, the uh, angel comes, 
Peter is miraculously released from prison. He goes to the house, knocks on the door. The, the gal, Rhoda, um, opens the door and says, what are you doing? And nobody believes him that, that Peter's there, that God has answered their prayers. That's all at the home of John Mark's mom. Right after that, John Mark goes with Paul and with Barnabas um, to Jerusalem and then on the first missionary journey. Um, Paul and Barnabas are the major players. John Mark is an assistant in that process. If you had pictures of that first missionary journey, you'd say, oh yeah, there's Paul, there's Barnabas. What's that other guy's name? Because he's there, but he's not mentioned in any of it until afterwards when they're getting ready to go out on the second missionary journey and we learn that in the middle of that trip, John Mark went home. He quit. And, and it so irritated Paul that Paul said, we're not taking John Mark again. And Barnabas said, yeah, we are. And, and Paul said, no, we're not. And, um, and ultimately, Barnabas took John Mark in a separate direction to tell people about Jesus. Paul took Silas on his team, and they went on then on the second and third missionary journeys that we read about in the book of Acts. Um, that rift that existed between John Mark and Paul ultimately gets resolved. We read in 1 Timothy that, that uh, reconciliation has taken place. And Paul says, you know what? Uh, Paul's in prison in Rome. He's at the end of his life. He knows, he knows that he's going to be executed. And, and he sends a message to Timothy and says, send Mark to me. He, have, him bring, have him bring me some supplies. He is useful for me in ministry. You have this picture that, that all of that bad blood has been resolved that there's been reconciliation. Um, uh, John Mark traveled, historians tell us that John Mark traveled um, a a lot with Peter and listened to Peter teach and preach about Jesus. So the the parts of Mark that that John Mark didn't experience firsthand, that knowledge would have come from listening to Peter tell about Jesus, tell stories about Jesus, to tell how Jesus had done things. Um, Justin Martyr, who's who's a historian from the second century, uh, said that so much of what John Mark wrote about came from Peter that the, that the title of the book should be called The Memoirs of Peter instead of the book of Mark, which is just kind of interesting. Um, so um, uh, John Mark writes in the mid-60s, uh, so about 30 years after Jesus' uh, resurrection, uh, his crucifixion and resurrection. Um, if uh, most of you remember stuff from 30 years ago, right? Kerry's talking about President Reagan. That's more than 30 years ago, you know, uh, 40 years ago. Um, do you know what happened 30 years ago today? 30 years ago today, the Gulf War Operation Desert Storm started. Most of you can remember seeing those images on TV of the bombing and all the stuff that happened. Some of you were there, um, you know, that firsthand knowledge of that stuff. Uh, 30 years ago, 30 years, if you're 45 or older, 30 years is not very long. Um, My three oldest girls were preschoolers 30 years ago. Man, I remember those days. Um, Mark is writing stuff that's fresh in his mind. Um, Memories that had come from Peter as well, but uh, Mark's, Mark's just telling the story of Jesus. The book of Mark is a book that's filled with action. Um, it's the place, if you've never read the Bible before, if you've, uh, l- let me just say to you, if you've never read the Bible before, my recommendation is that you start with the book of Mark because Mark tells the story of Jesus. It's the shortest of the Gospels. It's 16 chapters, and it's just jam-packed with action, um, with Jesus' interaction with people, 
It'll give you insight into who Jesus is. It was written for a Roman audience. Um, and, uh, and, and if there's a theme to the book of Mark, it's that Jesus came to be a servant. Um, there's, there's a phrase that happens at the end of Mark 10 that, um, that if Twitter existed in the first century would have been tweeted and retweeted uh, over and over again because it says that Jesus didn't come to be served, but he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the theme that's there of the, of the book of Mark, Jesus as a servant. Um, in this series, we're encouraging and inviting you challenging you to read through the New Testament so that you can meet Jesus. Because when you really meet Jesus, he begins to change you. He changes the way that you think, the way that you act, the way that you interact with other people. He changes your values and your worldview. The concept that I want us to look at in today's message starts in Mark chapter 3. Uh, so if you've got your Bibles, uh, go ahead and open the, those up to Mark chapter 3. If you've got the app, go there. It'll be on screen as well. Um, Chris mentioned last week that, uh, that um, he's, he's reading through the New Testament in the message version to just make it fresh. I'm doing the same thing, but I'm using the New Living Translation. So uh, the passages that you see on screen are from the New Living Translation today. Uh, Mark chapter 3, verse 13. Afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain and called out the ones he wanted to go with him. And they came to him. Then he appointed 12 of them and called them his apostles. The word apostles just means one sent, one's sent. They were to accompany him and he would send them out to preach, giving them authority to cast out demons. These are the 12 he chose. Simon, who he named Peter, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, but Jesus nicknamed them the sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. When you read down through that list, it doesn't really tell you a lot. Out of all the people who followed Jesus, all the people who listened to him teach, he picked out 12 and he said, hey, I want you to come follow me in a special way. I'm going to be your rabbi. You're going to be my crew. Uh, you, we're going to live together. You're going to learn from me as I teach. Um, we know that one of those 12 is a guy who's bold and brash, the, the guy named Simon or Peter. Jesus says to him, hey, yeah, you're Simon, but you've got this strength to you that, uh, that you're like a rock. So I'm going to call you Rocky. And along with Rocky, there's his brother, Polly. No, not really. Um, uh, his brother, Andrew. Um, Simon, or Peter and Andrew are fishermen. They have a fishing business on the Sea of Galilee. There's another set of brothers, James and John, who are also fishermen with, uh, with Peter and Andrew on the Sea of Galilee. Um, Chris talked last week about the impact that going to Israel made on him. On his reading scripture, I would echo that. In 2011, I got to go to Israel for about two weeks, and and one of my clearest memories is standing on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, as the water was on my toes, standing on the rocks right there, uh, outside the ruins of Capernaum, and thinking, somewhere right in this area where I can see and walk, somewhere right here is where Jesus said to Peter, Andrew, James, and John, "Come follow me." and I'll make you fishers of men. Um, the, we've got these four fishermen, but then when you look through the other eight disciples, you discover that Jesus' 12 disciples were incredibly diverse. 
There's a guy that, that we, we've already read about in the book of Mark, a tax collector named Levi in Hebrew or Matthew in Greek. Tax collectors uh, were despised by the Jews in the first century because they worked for the government of Rome. They were Jewish, but they worked for the Roman government. And the tax collectors were, uh, were there to collect the taxes that got sent to Rome. And the setup was such that the tax collectors could impose any level of tax, really, that they wanted. Um, and so they skimmed money off the top, and uh, the tax collectors were typically very wealthy, um, but they were despised by the rest of, of, of the Jews. Think, think about it for a second. If, um, if an IRS agent appeared at your door and um, said that, that you're being audited, um, and, and you, as you discussed it with him, began to realize that anything that he recovers in the audit above and over what you have already paid, he's getting a percentage of that. And you look out at the curb and he's driving a brand new Mercedes and he's talking about his vacation to exotic parts of the world and where he lives and you know that he lives in this mansion of a house. Your feelings for this IRS agent are not going to be real kind, Right? That was Matthew. And so Jesus says to Matthew, come follow me. And Peter, Andrew, James, and John are going, what in the world? Jesus, this is the guy who's taken money out of our pocket, who we're having to fish extra hours just to pay him. And you want him? You want him to be a part of this group? Um, They're small businessmen who are just trying to stay afloat. Fishermen, they're just, thank you, thank you. There's some tension there. Then then there's this guy named Simon the Zealot. Um, That that sounds pretty good, right? Simon's this guy who's filled with zeal. He has a passion for life. The only problem is that's not what the Zealots were. The, The Zealots were passionate, but they were passionate about overthrowing the Roman government. Um, They, think just for a second, think Proud Boys, think Antifa, think the guys who kidnapped or who had the plot to kidnap the the governor, the people who stormed the capital. Um, The zealots hated the Romans. They thought that the Romans had no business being in Palestine. They used guerrilla warfare and violence to try and overthrow the Roman occupation and and the government. And Jesus says to one of those zealots, one of those guys, come, follow me. Be a, part, be a part of this group. How do you think Matthew responded to that? Matthew is working for the Roman government. And he brings into this group of 12 this guy who's trying to overthrow the, the Roman government. How do you think the, the fishermen responded? Because if the zealots win and the Roman government goes away, all of a sudden the economy goes crazy. And what's going to happen to the fishermen's business? Then there's Thomas. We don't know a lot about Thomas. We do know that on the Sunday night, on on the night of Jesus' resurrection, that Thomas wasn't there with the rest of the disciples. And so he didn't believe that Jesus had resurrected from the dead. He didn't believe the guys that he had been traveling with for three years when they said, no, understand, Jesus is alive. Thomas said, you know what, unless I can touch his hand, unless I can put my hand in his side, I, I I don't buy it. You have, to, you have to know that that wasn't an anomaly in Thomas's character, in his personality. If he was an American, Thomas would be from Missouri, the show-me state, right? Prove it to me. Um, anytime somebody made him a, uh, a suggestion, what was Thomas's response? Mm, I don't think so. I doubt it. Prove it to me. 
Have you ever been on a road trip with somebody like that? Do you know how quickly that gets old? Thomas was probably the first guy when they were out on the Sea of Galilee and the storms came up to say, we're going to die. I, I, I don't think this boat's strong enough for us to stay afloat. I've seen boats sink before. Have you seen boats sink before? We're going to die. Uh, we don't even know who built this thing. That was Thomas. To travel together with Thomas would have been, I think, an incredible challenge. Then there was Judas. John tells us that Judas was the one who kept track of the money for the 12 disciples and that Judas stole money out of that common pot and used it for his own benefit. So in this group of 12, there's a thief as well. Do you think there might have been a little bit of conflict, a little bit of bitterness when the group first began to follow Jesus? They were a motley crew a ragtag bunch of guys with incredibly diverse backgrounds that Jesus chose to be transformed individually first and then to spread the news of Jesus to transform the world. More than 60 years ago, Martin Luther King Jr. said, the 11 o'clock hour on Sunday morning is the most segregated hour in America. Any church that stands against integration is standing against the teachings of Jesus Christ and it fails to be a true witness. At its root, what was Dr. King saying? That the church has become a place where people surround themselves with people who look like them, who talk like them, who think like them, who act like them. That's not what Jesus did when he chose the 12. Why? Because Jesus is more concerned about where you're going than where you've been. Jesus cares about your background. He cares about your skin color. He cares about your economic status. He cares about every aspect of your life. How you think and what's shaped your thinking. What your background is. How that impacts the way that you interact with others. He knows that it's easier for us to surround ourselves with people who look like us and act like us and talk like us and think like us. But Jesus is more concerned about your future than he is your past. He cares more about where you're going than where you've been. He cares about more than just the comfort of the moment. He came to transform you. Jesus can use your past, no matter how bad it seems, to tell his story of redemption why did Jesus call such a diverse group of guys to be the people that he would invest in for three years? Because I think because he saw in them the desire to learn and to grow and to follow him wherever he'd lead. He said to Simon, yeah, you're Simon, but you've got this personality, you've got this, this uh, strength that's going to allow you to stand in the face of, of racial division. And you're going to be able to bridge the gap between the Jews and the Gentiles to help them have a relationship with God as well. He said to Thomas, I know you don't believe right now, but, but touch my hand. Put your hand in my side. I, I really am alive. He, I got to believe that he had a, a conversation with Simon the Zealot that said, you know what, you want to overthrow the Roman government? Let's do it together. But let's do it with truth and love and not just overthrow the Roman government. Let's overthrow the world with the power of God. If you've been a part of North Point um, for, for very many years, if you've gone to North Point 101 that's going to start in February, 
um, anytime in the last five or six years, um, you've heard us talk about an approach to to uh, a, about an approach that's a, a, that's become a part of the DNA of North Point. It's an approach that has to do with spiritual growth that involves either a bounded set or a centered set. A bounded set is when a group is defined by the boundaries of that group by a certain set of criteria. A, a great bounded set example is mammals. Mammals are warm-blooded animals that breathe through their lungs that give birth to live babies that nurse their young that are covered with with hair or fur. That's what determines whether you're a mammal or not, a bear or a cat or a kangaroo or a human. Those are all mammals because they're a part of that bounded set. Snakes, birds, clams, are outside those boundaries. They're not. A centered set, on the other hand, is defined by things moving towards the center of the set. What includes or excludes a member is not, uh, it's, it's not marked by any specific boundaries, but it's whether they're moving towards the center. At North Point, we would say Jesus is the center of our centered set. And it's all about moving towards Jesus in our discipleship. Uh, our spiritual growth is not defined by the list of things that you do or don't do, by the things that you know or don't know. It's defined by whether or not you're moving towards Jesus, whether you're being changed by him or not. If, if you don't watch R-rated movies or drink alcohol or use bad language or smoke or watch porn, that's great, but that doesn't mean that you're a disciple of Jesus. If you do read your Bible every day, if you do come to church every Sunday, if you do give big financially to the church, that's great too, but that doesn't mean that you're a disciple of Jesus either. The issue is whether or not you're getting to know Jesus more, not whether you're learning more about Jesus. Our NT90 challenge is not so that you can mark a notch in your spiritual Christian belt and say, oh, I read through the Bible in 90, I read through the New Testament in 90 days in 2021. Isn't God pleased with me? The goal of the challenge is to read the New Testament so that you can encounter Jesus and be changed by him. Here's the thing. When we're moving towards Jesus, Following Jesus brings us together with people who think and look and act differently than we may be comfortable with because they're following Jesus also. I think those 12 guys that Jesus called were initially suspicious of each other. They were jealous of each other. They questioned each other's motives. Maybe they didn't like each other very much at all. But as they watched Jesus heal the sick, cast out demons, feed the hungry, calm the storms, and teach with understanding and authority like they had never experienced before, their differences dissolved. Following Jesus for the disciples meant that they had new marching orders for their life. Mark 6, Jesus went from village to village teaching people. He called his 12 disciples together and began sending them out two by two, giving them authority to cast out evil spirits. He told them to take nothing for their journey except a walking stick. No food, no traveler's bag, no money. He allowed them to wear sandals but not take a change of clothes. Wherever you go, Jesus said, stay in the same house until you leave town. If any place refuses to welcome you or to listen to you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave, to show that you've abandoned those people to their fate. 
Verse 12, so the disciples went out telling everyone they met to repent of their sins and turn to God. And they cast out many demons and healed many sick people, anointing them with olive oil. Jesus gave new marching orders to his disciples to say, you're not going to live the way that you lived before. I've got stuff for you to do. It was about, uh, their change in direction was about knowing Jesus and doing what Jesus did, about doing what Jesus asked them to do. You know how we define discipleship at North Point? We say it's following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and, and being committed to the mission of Jesus, pursuing the mission of Jesus. Here's the crazy thing, though. For the disciples then, for the 12, and for us, following Jesus means death. Not just a willingness to die. It means that we will die. Mark 8 says this, the crowd, uh, Jesus called the crowd to his disciples and said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. If you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you'll save it. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Do you ever wonder what happened to the twelve? the ones that Jesus called and, uh, and sent out. James, I, I already mentioned uh, the brother of John, he was pierced with a sword at the, at the uh, order of Herod. He was the first of the 12 to be martyred. Peter was nailed to a cross in Rome and crucified in, in about 64 AD. Peter didn't feel like he was worthy to be crucified like Jesus, and so he asked that the cross would be turned upside down with his head down. And he died that way. Um, Peter's brother, Andrew, uh, preached the gospel throughout Asia. uh, But he was ultimately crucified on a cross as well. And the Roman soldiers liked to find different ways to entertain themselves to to crucify people. And Peter, I'm sorry, Andrew was crucified on a cross that was transfixed. So it was in the ground like this. Um, And it says that, that Andrew lived for two days tied to the cross preaching until he died to anyone who was there who would listen about Jesus. Thomas traveled east to India. He was speared to death because of his preaching. Philip uh, preached in North Africa in Asian Minor, and we're not sure exactly how he, how he died. Some, some say that he was beheaded. Others say that he was hung. Others that he was crucified upside down like Peter. Matthew, the tax collector, took the gospel of Jesus to Ethiopia and was martyred there. One account says that he was impaled, a stick was run up through the center of his body, and then he was beheaded. Bartholomew preached and was skinned alive and then beheaded. The Jewish historian Josephus says that James, the son of Alphaeus, was preaching on the wall of the city of Jerusalem, and the Jewish leaders came and pushed him over the wall because of his preaching, where he fell 30 or 40 feet onto the rocks below, but he didn't die. And so the Jewish leaders stoned him, and he still didn't die. And so they beat him with a club until he was dead. Simon the Zealot, tradition says, was sawn in half because of his faith. Thaddeus was was martyred in Beirut with an axe. According to Tertullian, who was a second century historian, John, the apostle John, 
was taken to Rome and was arrested in Rome and thrown into a pot of boiling oil, but was miraculously saved from that, came out of it without any marks on his body. And so the Romans banished uh, John to the Isle of Patmos, a place kind of like Alcatraz for us. It was an island that was completely secluded where there were mines and the criminals had to work in the mines in bitter, bitter conditions. Why do I share the gory stories of the martyrdom of the apostles? Because meeting Jesus means that you change the way you think. These are the same guys who scattered when Jesus was arrested. The same guys who screamed in fear when they were out on the Sea of Galilee with Jesus in the boat in the middle of a storm. The same guys who watched Jesus feed 5,000 and then not, not much later at all, there's 4,000 people that need to be fed and, and, and they're beside themselves not knowing what to do. The same guys to whom Jesus said, have I been with you for so long and you still don't understand? What happened to them? Once they witnessed Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, they were never the same. Why is it important to understand who the 12 apostles are and what they experienced? Because their lives changed and because the stakes for us in 2021 are really, really high. Each of the apostles gave their lives in exchange for telling people about Jesus. Each of them were condemned and executed for talking about how Jesus had changed their lives. It makes a presidential transition transition and a pandemic seem pretty small to a follower of Jesus, I think. You know why else I share their stories? Because I want to challenge who we think we might share the story of Jesus with, of how he's working in our lives, who we might tell that story to. The most unlikely people are being drawn to Jesus. The intellectual who loves philosophy and communicates he has everything figured out the guy who was just released from prison for murder, the woman who's driven to break through every barrier in the business world, the Muslim that no one will talk to, the Gen Z kid who's coping with life by getting high every night, the person who's selling their body for the satisfaction of others, the neighbor who's working from home who has that irritating dog, the atheist who's making fun of you, the person that you keep bumping into at the grocery that talks nonstop, that person who watches the other news channel and voted for the other candidate. You may have a bounded set of beliefs that make you believe that they're not worth reaching out to, that they're not worth your time. But if Jesus is pursuing them and they're responding like Simon the Zealot or Matthew the tax collector or Thomas the doubter or Peter, you need to reach out and tell them how Jesus has changed your life. Who looks like you? Who looks like you? It's not the people who are around you here in, at North Point. It's anybody who's moving towards Jesus. Let me encourage you. Read, read the New Testament. Meet Jesus. Let him change you and tell your story. Let's pray. God, we need you desperately. We need you to help us see with clarity what's at stake in our lives and around the world. God, we need to help you help us see people 
who are being drawn to you, who are moving towards you and need direction. God, we need you to help us see who, who we can share our story with naturally, normally, daily. Help us, help us, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Let's stand together, let's sing.
Sunday.